We have been going through the book of First Peter. We're in this section of First Peter where he addresses husbands and he addresses wives and how they are to conduct themselves and allow the the gospel to shape their marriage relationships. Now, let me just say this to you singles. If you're single here, please don't check out. Please don't check out. You may get married one day and you may find some of these things very helpful to your marriage relationship. Or you may have an, a friend who's married and they need some encouragement and how to live within the marriage relationship. Or you may just want to marvel at the beauty of God's design, his wisdom and beauty in creating a man and a woman to be together in a marriage covenant and have children and flourish and, and, and bless, be a blessing to the earth. You may just want to get a good glimpse of God's work in creating this beautiful thing we call marriage. Amen? So let me pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. I recognize my need for you. I need you. We need you. So I ask now that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would guide me, guide the things that I say. May I honor you with how I handle your word. May I help and build up and edify your people here this morning. And may we get a, a clear view of what you've designed marriage to look like. I pray that you would strengthen marriages here. That we would be a people, as your scripture says, uh, who honor marriage and hold it in high esteem. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. So I've had the privilege of officiating several weddings and that's one of the joys that I, I get in being a pastor is to, to walk with a couple through pre-marriage coaching and, and officiate, uh, wedding ceremonies. I got, there's a couple of folks here who have been a part of and helping, um, that take place. And one of the things we, we talk about in pre-marriage coaching and, and one of the things that I often bring up officiating a wedding is the reality that marriages have problems. Every marriage, no matter how godly you are and how smart you are and how disciplined you are and how loving you are, every marriage faces problems. Even even Christian marriages, they just face problems. The very first marriage, Adam and Eve had some problems and they were living in a perfect world. They had spiritual problems. Eve was listening to a talking snake. The devil was talking to her. Hey, won't you get to eat that fruit? Won't you disobey God? It's okay. Did God really say that? They had spiritual problems, and then they disobeyed God. When they disobeyed God, there were problems. There were relational problems. There was there was shame and insecurities and blame shifting. That that woman you gave me, God, and she said, "The devil, the serpent. You know, he the devil made me do it, God." You know, there was, there was hiding, there was fear, there was shame, there was isolation, frustration, confusion. There were work problems. God said that work was going to be hard. 
that, that man, men would have to work and toil and labor and that women having babies, they would have to go through much pain. There were financial problems, if you will. They needed some clothes. They realized they were naked and they needed some clothes. And God met those needs, right? And there were family problems. The very fir- their first kids, their, their boys, Cain and Abel, as we, if you know the story, uh, Cain killed Abel. Marriages from the beginning of time, because we've, we've rebelled against God and His design for us, marriages face problems. And the Bible has answers for you and I who are married. The Bible has answers for how we can face those problems in victory and find resolve for some of those most difficult issues that we face in this life. God is our designer. He's our maker. He's our creator. And he knows how life works best when we live according to his design, right? If you're like me, at, uh, you, you, you may not like to use the instructions when you're putting something together. But if you don't do that, you often will find yourself in some trouble later on. You have to go back. Uh, my wife and I were putting together a few months ago a trampoline for our kids. And I didn't want to use the instruction. I was like, I got this. And thankfully, thankfully, my wife has enough sense to read the instructions and, and it worked out well, but we, I started going down the wrong path until my wife intervened. The Bible gives us instructions in how we are, we are to live. The Bible gives us an owner's manual, if you will, and how life works best and how relationships work best. And you and I would do well to heed the instructions that God gives us for all our relationships but especially here today, our marriage relationships. So if you have your Bible, turn to First Peter 3. And let's begin. The Apostle Peter says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. For this reason, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And all God's people said, amen. So here's where we're going from the text is that God instructs Christian husbands and wives how to live in such a way that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus. What does it look like for a husband or a wife to live in such a way that is biblically informed, that is influenced and shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's influenced by the leadership of Jesus Christ in their lives as Savior and Lord of their lives. What does it look like for a a wife and a husband to live in such a way? Well, last week we talked about what it looked like to live as citizens of heaven and citizens of our country. The Apostle Peter was writing a persecuted church that was trying to figure out how to navigate through the difficult waters of persecution. It was difficult. It was trying. And among those Christians were were women who had become Christians 
and who had husbands who had not yet become Christians. And so they were facing a dilemma because typically in that culture, a wife would follow their husband's spiritual lead and worship whatever gods their husband worshiped. Okay. But what does a Christian wife do when she, she becomes a Christian and then she has a husband who's not a Christian? Okay. And, and then, and then just in general, how do Christian wives conduct themselves in a way that's different than the culture around them in a way that honors God? Well, the apostle Peter says that wives are to be submissive to their husbands. As I said last week, this is not a popular idea in our culture. This often seems like a bad word amongst many in our culture, the word submit. Because we've, we've seen abuses of, of those who are in authority, who misuse their authority and hurt others with their authority. And so, so there's, there's those, those issues that we've seen. Nevertheless, God's design for the marriage relationship is that the wife have this humble posture of submission. And as I mentioned last week, this, this posture of submission should be one that every Christian embraces. Okay, all Christians are to have this posture of being submissive to the human institutions. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5 to submit to one another in the fear of Christ and reverence for Christ, knowing that ultimately God is in charge, that he has the highest authority and trusting that he's in charge and he's going to deal with those who are in authority. And so he's he's building on what he's already said in chapter 2, how Christians are to be submissive to human institutions, right? And how uh, it says slaves are to be subject to their masters. And then Peter goes into the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Jesus himself, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, how he humbled himself and he stepped down into this world and he submitted to being treated unjustly. He submitted to suffering that the father had called him to walk through and he didn't revile in return. He didn't attack back, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly is what it says. And so Jesus is our ultimate example, not only of submission, of, 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 of posturing ourselves in in humility but also as paul points out as he's our ultimate example for husbands to love their wives as christ loved the church lay down our lives for our wives okay so wives are to be subject to their husbands and and here's the effect so that even if some of them do not obey the word those are unbelievers those are unbelievers. If some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, Peter is giving these wives a strategy for how to influence unbelieving husbands. Be submissive, be respectful, do what's good, do what's right. And you just might win them over. Okay. Now this doesn't imply, this does not mean that wives who are Christians, who have husbands that are not Christians, that does not mean that they should not share the gospel with them. Okay. The husband needs to know what they stand for and what they believe. Right. But they need to have the strategy 
of winning them over with their conduct. If you've ever experienced this in family relationships, I, I, when, I, when I became a Christian, I realized quickly that a lot of my family members, that to, to, to impact them and reach them, I needed to do more living it out before them than just preaching to them. They didn't really want to hear what I had to say. Y'all, can anybody relate to that? You know, people who know you and they've seen you and they've, they've, they've lived with you and there's this sense of familiarity in, with you. But then when they see the supernatural change that has happened in your heart, it's winsome. As I said last week, when we have the good conduct, the good works uh, that adorn the good words of the gospel, working together, married together, we have a powerful witness. And Peter has already said several things about this, about letting our conduct be honorable before outsiders. And here again, he's instructing wives, win them over with your conduct, with your posture of submission, of your respect, your pure conduct. Okay? And so let's look at what submission is not before we describe what it is. Okay? I think this is important because there are many authoritarian husbands who have used these scriptures and have been like, submit, woman. Submit. This is what the Bible says. Submit, right? And some some of you guys might be trying that right now. Um, we're going to get to the husbands here shortly, okay? But let, let's just look at what submission is not. And this is taken from uh, author and pastor John Piper in his book, Momentary Marriage. I highly recommend it. And he says this, submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. Submission does not mean you have to agree with everything your husband says, wives. Okay, God's given you a mind to think with, okay? And you can use it. And, and, you, and you can have uh, uh, intellectual discussions and engage, all right? You can, so you don't have to agree because, you know what? Husbands, we're fallible, aren't we? And our wives know that. They can testify to that. And, and, and so we need our wives to disagree with us when we're wrong. We need them to tell us, honey, uh, I think that's not correct. We, we need them to respectfully address us when we're out of line, okay? And praise God for, for that gift when you've got a, a, a relationship like that where somebody can lovingly speak the truth into your life. So it doesn't mean that they have to agree with everything they say. Again, what, what do we just look at in verse 1? That, the, that these wives uh, who have unbelieving husbands, they don't have to agree with their husband's worldview and religion. If they're Christians and their husband's not, they don't have to just just submit to the the the, the religious beliefs of an unbelieving husband. If if that wife is a Christian, okay, um, submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the altar. Again, God's made you in His image, male and female, and so you have a you have intellect, you have volition. You have the capacity to make decisions, and husbands should avoid trying to be controlling. Submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. As we just looked at, there's this idea of an, a believing wife winning her husband over with her conduct. Ladies, you have probably more influence in the life of your husband than, you, than many of you realize, okay? 
Now, the Bible says that the husband is the head of the, the wife, right? There's this headship idea. But it's, it's been often said, jokingly, that if the husband is the head, the woman, the wife, is the neck that turns the head. All right? And which is, which is referencing the kind of influence that a wife has in the life of a, of a husband. Okay? Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Now, this is important. Wives, if, if, if your husband tells you to do something, is trying to get you to do something that clearly goes against Scripture, you don't do it because you have a higher authority. Like we looked at last week when Peter and John, when Peter who wrote, be subject to every human institution, when he, when he said in Acts, when they were in, in the book of Acts and the Jewish leaders tried to get them to stop preaching about Jesus, they were like, we're going to obey God rather than man, Okay. And so that we looked at the time, the, the, the appropriate time to disobey authorities, those who are in authorities, is when they directly go against what God has clearly commanded in Scripture. Amen? And so as Christians, as Christian husbands and wives, we should have this mentality that we're, gonna, we're submitting together to the authority of Scripture. And so, like, if I'm out of line, my wife, Kendall, has the freedom to, to correct me with Scripture if I'm not being loving or kind or patient. Or if I'm not doing my part as a dad or a husband or a pastor or just a, just a, a, a Christian. If I'm not living in a way that's honorable to what God says, my wife has the freedom to, to speak truth into my life. And I think that's, a, that's important for us as husbands to give our wives a safe place to speak that truth. Because we're a team. We're partners together in this. Okay, Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal and spiritual strength primarily through her husband. The, the kind of woman that, that Peter's describing here is a woman who hopes in God. Okay? So where does a wife get her strength from when her husband doesn't have a relationship with God? She gets it from God. Well, what about Christian wives? What about Christian wives? Christian wives should also get their strength from God through hoping in God, through cultivating a personal relationship with God. And I think marriage relationships and all relationships Work best when God is at the center. When we've learned to allow what he says, his values, to shape how we view and how we do relationships. Okay? And lastly, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. Verse 6. Okay, so what is submission? Piper argues that submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help him carry it through According to her gifts. Amen. Y'all like that? Is that okay? Does that sound bad? Does that sound overbearing? Okay, this is God's design. Okay, here's another quote here. Submission involves four things. First, it begins with an attitude of entrusting oneself to God. The focus of our life must be on Jesus. Second, submission requires respectful behavior. Nagging is not respectful behavior. And by the way, nagging is counterproductive. Okay? And it's unwise. I mean, Proverbs warns against um, nagging. It's just, it's not effective. It, 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 it's counterproductive. And oftentimes it'll, it'll push a husband further away rather than attract them. And so, so nagging's not helpful. It's not honoring. 
Third, submission involves the development of godly character. And fourth, submission includes doing what is right. It does not include violating other scriptural principles. Submission is an imperative for oneness in marriage. There's an example in church history of St. Augustine uh, and his mother. And he wrote about her in uh, his Confessions 9, uh, 9, 19 through 22. And this is what he said about his mother. She served she served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you, speaking the truth to him of your of of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. So this is a classic example of a believing wife who had an unbelieving husband. And St. Augustine was a pretty significant figure in church history, okay? And this believing mother had a huge impact, and I'm sure on Augustine as well. Um, but on his father, he, he writes. And so wives, don't underestimate the influence that you have in the lives of your husbands and the lives of your children. Amen? So... Wives are also to focus on internal beauty of the heart and character rather than external beauty. Look in verse 3 and 4. It says, do not let your adorning be external. The, the New American Standard says merely external. I think that's a little more helpful. A couple other, New King James also has that. I think it's important to know when they use the word merely Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now let me just say this, I don't think Peter is forbidding any fixing up your hair or or, or any efforts to, to look attractive to your husband, okay? Or just to look attractive. I don't, I don't think he's forbidding that. But what he is forbidding is a preoccupation with external beauty because it's fleeting. It's fleeting, okay? Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, okay? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Now, I don't think and I'm glad my wife doesn't take this verse like this that she doesn't she doesn't wear any makeup and she doesn't fix up, doesn't look nice. I'm glad that there's some balance there because I don't think Peter's forbidding any um, dressing up of attractiveness, uh, looking attractive, but there is in our culture in our culture, there's this temptation to be more shaped by what Hollywood says is beauty rather than what heaven says is beauty. And ladies, it's a trap. Don't fall into it. Trying to conform to this world by fixing yourself up like everybody else. Focus on your character, on your heart, because you know what? You will take that with you to the grave and beyond. Amen? Amen. And you're going to get old. Okay, you're going to grow and things are going to fall apart. You can't, you can't maintain that external. You can only maintain that external beauty for so long. But that internal beauty, 
You can continue to excel and grow with that internal beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit of godly character till the day you die and you go into eternity. Though the outward man is perishing, the apostle Paul says the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so those are the things we should focus on as Christians, who we are. Ladies, you are more than just the body. You see, our culture has misused and abused women and the, the images of women, and they've, they've treated them as just a, a body, a physical body. But God's created you more, created you with more than just the body. He's given you a mind. He's given you a personality. He's given you emotions. He's given you the, the ability to, to, to relate to Him. He's given you a will. Okay? And, and He wants you to focus on that beauty that's internal, not external. Amen? And, and Peter says, he likes to use this word precious. He said, this is precious in God's sight. If you care about what's precious to God, what's valuable to God, his values, then this is what you'll focus on. What's in here? All right. And, and single guys, if we got any single guys, this is the kind of woman you want. You want a woman who is beautiful on the inside, not just the outside. Because if you... If you hook up with a, a lady who's beautiful on the outside but not beautiful on the inside, you will see, you will see the, the lack of beauty in due time, and you'll be disappointed. But that inward beauty of character and godliness is precious in God's sight, and it's imperishable. It keeps on. You take that with you into eternity, who you are on the inside. Amen? And so don't give in to the pressures of this culture to conform to this culture by being preoccupied with external beauty. Okay, now again, I'm, I don't think he's prohibiting that ladies shouldn't fix themselves up and look nice. Okay, but I think that this should affect how much time you spend in the mirror each day. And I'm, and I'm not going to put, I, okay, I'm going to just back off that. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. Okay, that's between you and the Lord. Um, for this is... <laughs> Wives are to do good and be courageous, verse 5 and 6. For this is how holy women, women who hoped in God, okay, they're characterized. Holy women, godly women are characterized by hope. And I can't help but just think about my own wife as I read this. And, and, and several of the ladies here, I know that y'all have this, these characteristics. These describe who you are, this, this beauty on the inside, this gentle and quiet spirit. You're characterized by hope, hope in God. For this is how holy women hoped in God. My wife likes to quote Psalm 62 often and encourages others with Psalm 62 where David says, my hope comes from the Lord. He alone is my refuge. I pour out my heart before him. This is what godly women do. They hope in God. And, and Peter points to Sarah as this example here. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How did they adorn themselves? By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I know this seems interesting and even even to me i was talking to my wife about this like it would be really weird if she called me lord lord keith how are you doing today right different culture but but 
what Peter is highlighting here is this posture of respect. This is the posture that Sarah had towards her husband, Abraham. And, and specifically when she responded like this was when there, the, the Lord came to announce that Abraham and Sarah were finally going to have a, a child. And she's like, oh man. And, and she mentions, and she's speaking to herself and she mentions him as, as like, now you're going to grant this, this gift to me and my Lord. And so it's a lowercase l there. But but Sarah is highlighted as an example, as, as one who hoped in God. By the way, Sarah made it to the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to just read this, this one mention of, of Sarah here. In Hebrews 11, verse 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was the past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Amen? Sarah was a godly woman, a godly example of one who hoped in God. She was respectful to her husband. She did good. He also points out this, this aspect of do not, be, do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter's exhorting women, wives, to have this posture, to be courageous. To not give in to fear. Fear and anxiety has a way of just robbing us from, from peace and enjoyment of life. It puts unnecessary pressure on the marriage and family relationships. It makes things really difficult. So push back on that. Courage is a character quality that God calls his people over and over throughout scripture to pursue and embrace. So wives are to do good and be courageous. By the way, I'm sure somebody's thinking like, why are there six verses for the wives and only one verse for the husbands? All right. I've thought about this. Um, you know, Peter was married, by the way, and he was he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to help those ladies who were in a more difficult situation. You know, living with their husband. And, and by the way, Christians were under persecution in this time. Okay? So there was a lot of heat. There's a lot of fire. It was difficult with, with Christians. And then the ladies trying to figure out, like, how do I live this out? This is difficult. And so he gives them a lot of instruction. And, and, and one theologian points out that, that it's not really typical that there would be an address in that culture to, to the ladies even. When we look at how the Bible treats women... Rather, um, in, in contrast to historically how women have been treated, the Bible, Jesus, and scriptures, they, they, they elevate women to a, to a higher honor than throughout history uh, women have been elevated. So I just want to point that out. You know, the, the first person who saw Jesus resurrected uh, was a woman. Right. She got to carry the good news. Right. Um, and, and throughout you read the book of Acts, you read the book of Luke, you see the sons and daughters get the prophesy. And you see you see there's this um, there's this honoring of women. And that's by the way, that's for the men here. Verse seven. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands are to be considerate in honoring of their wives. And you see, with, these, with this one verse, he, kind of, he hits on um, the physical, live with your wife. As, as Warren Wiersbe points out, the physical, dwell with your wives, live with your wives. The intellectual or the relational, 
in an understanding way, the emotional showing honor and the spiritual that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. They're to be considerate. They're, um, it literally means uh, with, to, to dwell with them according to knowledge. Like get, get to know them. Know, know, know what, what their struggles are, what their hopes are, what their fears are. Get to know your wives and understand what's going on. One of the most important ways to do that is by listening to them. Asking questions, listening to their heart, hearing what they have to say. Um, and I, I got to admit that throughout our marriage, my wife and I have been married for nine years. You know, at times that's been a struggle for me, you know, as, as my wife will share what's going on. Just, you know, and she wants me to just just track with her and feel what she feels, go through it. And and, t- and what, what I think what I've told her it would be helpful for me in those times is give me the big idea. Give me the main head, you know, point and then let's go there. And, and, and so I, so I kind of have an idea of where we're going. Um, but dwell husbands, you're to dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to them. Be respectful of them. And, and Peter says here to the woman as he calls her a weaker vessel. Now, let me just say what what this is not, and, and most of the theologians would agree, would say this, this does not imply that women are weaker intellectually, spiritually, or morally. Okay? It does not mean that. What most theologians would point out, and I would agree with, that it, it emphasizes the physical aspect of weakness. Okay? And generally speaking, there I know there are exceptions where there are some wives that will put down a husband in a uh, arm wrestling match. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at sports and professional sports, have you ever wondered why don't why don't men and women compete? Well, it's just it doesn't seem fair. Like there was recently in the last year there was this this male wrestler who wanted to wrestle with women in in the women's league. It just doesn't seem fair, right? Because generally speaking, God has designed men to be a little bit stronger physically, and that's okay. But it, it that in no way that in no way points to some kind of inferiority in the woman. Both male and female are made in the image of God. And God didn't make mistakes in how he designed us. Men and women are designed to complement one another. We, we each bring strength and weaknesses to the marriage relationship. And so husbands need to, to show honor to our wives. And, and a part of that may be acknowledging their gifts and their strengths and creating space for them to bring their gifts and their strengths to the table. Okay? They may be better at balancing a checkbook than you. Okay? Or reading instructions than you. They may be better at communication with you, doing business than you. Um, they may be better at, at lots of things. And you know what? That's okay. It's important, husbands, men, that, that you and I be secure in who we are in Christ, not who's smarter, faster, or stronger. And by the way, husbands and wives are not com- competitors. We're partners, okay? We're teammates. We're working together. We're companions. We're a team. It's not me against you. It's us together, okay? But God has designed husbands to be leaders, to be the head of the home. So husbands are to be like thermostats. 
That means you set the temperature. You take initiative and you help set the temperature that's desirable and pleasing to your wife and your family in the home. And so if it's uncomfortable and <laughs> then, and then, and your wife tells you it's uncomfortable, then, then, then consider her. Consider like, what, what can I do? Husbands, we should be the ones saying, let's, let's more often than the wives saying, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's. We should be taking initiative more and our wives want us to, to be those who are taking initiative and leading. Um, and by the way, the call to leadership, Christian leadership is a call to serve. When Paul talks about husbands, how they're to treat wives, he says they're to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus got down and he washed his disciples' feet. Okay? And he laid down his life sacrificially. And so there's this great responsibility that husbands have to bear. Okay? And so wives, you can take comfort in that, by the way. Like, so if your husband's out of line and you're doing everything you can uh, to try to get him back in line, uh, just know that he's going to be accountable before God for his actions. And God will deal with them. God will discipline his children, all right? God, God has a way of getting our attention, and oftentimes it comes through painful experiences like speeding tickets. <laughs> um, so marriage is like a dance. Now, I, some of you may love dancing, and some of you may be terrible at dancing, but everybody can dance. Everybody, everybody can dance, all right? And I think everybody can enjoy themselves, in dancing, whether you're good at it or not. But when you're dancing with a partner, it's helpful to have somebody leading, okay? And typically that's the man, right? All right. If there's not some sense of order and role and leadership, then it just gets, it gets, it gets frustrating. It gets frustrating. They're stepping on toes and it doesn't look as pretty from the outside. But how graceful and sweet it is when there's a couple who've learned how to work together and take steps together and, and communicate to one another desires and needs and, and hey, let's go this way, you know, and, and work together. Marriage is like a dance. Okay? And husbands, we shouldn't just drag our wives around and how we're, how we're dancing. We should be considerate and honoring to them as the weaker vessel. My wife and I, by the way, we've, <clears throat> I love dancing a little more than she does. It, it takes, it takes more intentionality and effort for her. But there's been some marriage events that we've gone to that involve dancing, explaining how marriage is like a dance. And it's so sweet. Yeah, we're gonna dance. We're gonna dance. And one of those times, I remember my wife and I getting into a conflict because I was so excited about, we're going to dance together. I remember on our honeymoon, I was so excited about being able to dance together. We had fun. Um, and so we got out there. I finally got her out there after a while. And, and at this time, I've, I was disappointed and I felt rejected. My feelings were hurt. Like, you don't want to dance with me? Let's go home. <laughs> and then she's like, and she's warmed up. She's ready. She's ready to dance. And then I don't want to dance because my feelings are hurt. Like I feel dishonored, disrespected. She needed me to be considerate and let her get warmed up because she's not as outgoing as I am. And so we had conflicts. You know what we did? We went home. We just went home. It was like we just let that, that conflict ruin our evening. And we went home with conflict. I don't know if we, did we go to bed angry? Hopefully we didn't go to, go to bed. We, we tried not to go to sleep angry at one another. We try to resolve conflict as much as we can before, lest those things turn into a, a deeper 
offense and hurt. But marriage is like a dance, okay? So husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the weaker vessel. And notice this. Peter gives us these purpose statements. He gives us the why behind the what. I love that throughout throughout his epistle. And Paul does the same thing. Since they are heirs, heirs with you of the grace of life. They're heirs with you. You're, you're, you're together in this. And you both get to enjoy the gift of life, the grace of life together. Okay? I mean, who wants to go on a honeymoon or a vacation all by themselves? Right? Like, it, it's not going to be as special if you're not, if you don't go with the one that you love the most here in this life. Right? It's more special when you're there. You're there with them. All right, And we are heirs together of the grace of life. We get to enjoy the goodness of God in so many ways. As, as, as husbands and wives, we, children are part of that. A good cup of coffee, a, a, a good dinner, a, a time with friends. You walk at the park, ride, ride the bike together. I mean, there's so many aspects of the grace of life that we get to experience. And it's, it's so sweet to be able to do that with somebody else. Amen. And let me just say this to the singles too, that though the scripture says it's not good for man to be alone and God had a solution for it. Marriage isn't the only way that God's provided for singles to not be alone. He does call some people to a life of singleness and that's, that's a good thing too. Okay. Jesus himself was single. Paul was single. But but one of the ways that God meets that need to not be alone, that need for relationship, is through family. Your, your natural family, but your spiritual family, community. We're created for community. It is not good for man to be alone or woman to be alone. We need to be around people. We have the capacity to absorb the presence of another person and be influenced emotionally, spiritually, mentally, by by other people in in humanity needs that to flourish so marriage is like a dance marriage husbands you're to be like a thermostat set the take initiative uh set the atmosphere let me just share some of um some of my favorite quotes uh from on on marriage uh from a guy named tim keller has has a couple in his book the meaning of marriage he says to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Is that good or what? In the marriage relationship, you have the, the ability to be known at the deepest level in a human relationship and be accepted as you are loved, known and accepted. And you you have the ability to, to love and be loved, forgive and be forgiven to know and be known. Keller says in any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise, a future love. So what do you do? You do acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, and eager to please, but in your actions you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. If you do that, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep. 
and you will become more constant in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. Amen. Here's some questions for husbands and wives to answer. Are we partners or competitors? This is from Warren Wearsby. Are we helping each other become more Christ-like? Are we depending on the externals or the eternals? Do we understand each other better? Are we sensitive to each other's feelings and ideas and talk or taking each other for granted? Are we seeking God to answer our prayers? By the way, I I didn't mention this. I didn't spend time on this. Husbands, one of the reasons we're told to dwell with our wives in an understanding way is so that our prayers would not be hindered. If you want God to listen to you and answer your prayers, then make it a point to listen to your wife. Because your prayers can be hindered if you're not treating your wife as you should be and honoring her. I mean, Jesus talks about this principle that if you have something against another brother and you come to the altar and you got this gift and you're going to worship God, but you're ignoring this issue of being reconciled, then he says, first go be reconciled, right? And so praying together can be a barometer of where marriage is at. Like if you can't, if there's so much tension in the marriage that you can't even pray together, that could be a sign that there needs to be some, there needs to be that tune up. There needs to be a, uh, there's a check engine light going on. And our prayers, our prayers can get hindered. Our prayers can be ineffective if we're not husbands, if we're not treating our wives as we ought to. God will deal with us. Yeah, you're the leader of the home, but don't don't misuse your authority and your leadership in the home by being domineering and controlling and insensitive because God will deal with you um, graciously, but but firmly. And then another question is, are we enriched because of our marriage or are we robbing each other of God's blessing? You see, in the marriage relationship, we should flourish. We should have more joy more peace, more love. Our needs should be met um, graciously. And ultimately, they're met by God. And we and I think marriage works best when you got two people who have learned to be satisfied in God and find their ultimate worth and joy and delight and meaning and purpose in God. And then they come together and they encourage one another to find their satisfaction in God, to love God, to, to follow Him. So here's some application. Reflect on how the gospel is to shape marriage relationships. You know, the ultimate meaning and purpose of marriage is to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. The Apostle Paul talks about that. It's a profound mystery that God's God's created this beautiful design, this, this picture for the world to see this gracious relationship between Christ and the church. And then enjoy the gift of life together with your spouse. Do things you both enjoy. Do things you both enjoy. Enjoy life together. Wives hope in God, trusting God to influence your husband. Okay, Husbands, continue to date your wife and get to know her. Be intentional about getting a date night on the calendar and showing up and connecting and listening, asking her questions, engaging her heart. How is she doing? Be a student of your wife. Don't be like, well, I already know her. Uh, there's, 
there's, there's still more to learn about who she is and what's going on inside of her heart and her mind and how she's feeling and, and the things that, are, that she desires or the things that she's, that she's wrestling with. Okay, get to know her. It's a sad thing when a husband doesn't know his wife because he hasn't taken the time to listen to her. He hasn't asked. Okay, and vice versa. And then be intentional to have regular marriage tune-ups. So conferences, seminars, uh, marriage nights. I mean, I would love to do something small on a smaller scale. To Kendall and I have talked about getting some couples together and just just have a have a time where we focus in on where where are we at in the marriage? Where are you at in your marriage? You know, marriages healthy marriages don't happen automatically. They don't healthy marriages don't happen by merely coasting in the marriage relationship they take work they take intentionality just like your vehicle doesn't stay running without filling it up with gas changing the oil changing the fluids if you run a long time like a friend of mine who went like 30,000 miles without changing his oil your car is going to go kaput okay and and you can't go through life not giving any attention to your marriage and expect it to flourish and be healthy for, for, for your own sake, for your own peace and joy, for the sake of happiness in the home, for your kids sake, for your friends sake, take some time to examine under the hood. How are we doing? What could we, what could we do better? So I started off talking about how marriage faces problems. There is a power available to every Christian marriage and that is the power of the gospel that we've talked about and the power of the Holy Spirit. So before the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, when he gave instructions to wives and husbands, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's already unpacked what the gospel is in Ephesians. And so though there are great problems to face through marriage, and marriage is a sanctifying thing that God, God does a lot of sanctification in us through it, there's a power for us to flourish the power of the gospel. And you can apply this to any relationship. Forgive and forbear. Forgive those who've wronged you. For, be patient with them. Any, all, all the other relational advice that the New Testament, the commands that the New Testament give us can be applied, uh, most of them, to the marriage relationships. Like this is what healthy relationships look like. Treat others like Christ has treated you and if we'll do that we will flourish in our relationships in our marriage relationship and we as christians have the power to do that we have no excuse for not loving people like christ has loved us and so we can do that our, our marriages can flourish now there may be somebody here with you know where you feel stuck or at stalemate um, again you know that that's a time to ask somebody to invite some help in at pray but invite others to speak into your marriage, to have some marriage coaching or counseling, and, and, and go to the scriptures. Renew your mind with what scriptures say. Allow the, the gospel to shape how you view and how you do marriage relationships in every relationship. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of marriage relationships. And God, I pray again just that that the marriages here would reflect the beauty of the gospel, that, we, that they would be marked by love and humility and respect. 
God and that the wives and the husbands would flourish together, that the children would flourish in our families here, God, and that the world would see this is how Christians treat one another in love. And so help us. I just pray again for any struggling marriage that you would bring healing, restoration, and hope and help us to get our minds renewed where we have um, worldly views of how these relationships should be done. Help us to renew our minds with what you say, trusting that your ways are higher and better and your wisdom will stand. In Christ's name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.